heart's desire tonight you know we sang that song just a moment ago I want more but you know there's only so much room so in order to get more you got to lay something down you got to give up more of yourself to get more of him how many's willing to do that tonight let's pray our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we stand here, Lord, Lord, humbled in your presence, recognizing our own insufficiencies, Lord, and asking that you would come and speak. Lord, these people have come out on this cold, rainy night, Lord, and they didn't come to see or hear from me, but Lord, they came to hear from Almighty God. Lord, and I believe, Lord, that that's exactly what will happen if we can yield ourselves, Lord, because you promised to be in our midst. You promised, Lord, that you would come. I'm asking you now to break the bread of life, Lord, to move me out the way. Lord, and just speak words of life. Lord, we each one have our own battles and our struggles. But, Lord, we stand here tonight knowing that you'll never leave us or never forsake us. So, Lord, tonight may we just walk for a while with you. May you speak to us and strengthen each one, Lord, in our time of need. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to get directly into the word and start in Deuteronomy, the seventh chapter in the first verse. Deuteronomy, the seventh chapter in the first verse. And it says, When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land, whither thou goest to possess it, and hath cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. 
seven nations greater and mightier than thou. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. Amen. I pray the Lord will add his blessings to the word as you take your seats. We see here the Lord is, is speaking of what he's going to do as it relates to the taking of the land of promise. And, and I like here how he speaks in, in no uncertain terms, but it is extremely straightforward, almost as if th this goes without saying. I, I shouldn't even have to tell you this, almost is the tone in which he's speaking in. And he says, when I bring you into the land. There, there's no wondering here, not if and maybe if everything goes right and if we stick according to the plan. He says, when, when I bring you into the land. And then again in verse 2, he says, and when the Lord shall deliver them before thee. Th this is how our God operates tonight. And I think we need to start operating in a, not well, if I'm healed and if this happens and if my son returns and if my daughter and if we, but when my son returns and, and when my healing is manifested and when, because it's a certainty and it's a thing that is going to take place. And, and when our God speaks his word or whenever he, he makes a promise, that word is going to come to pass no matter what he has to do in order to bring it to pass. He will move heaven, he will move earth, but he's not going to speak a word and allow it to return unto him void. He's going to do whatever it takes. He told Abraham there in the scripture that his seed would sojourn in a strange land for, for 400 years, but after that they would be delivered and that, and that they had a land that they would go to and that it was going to be theirs. And, and now there's an awful lot of things if, as you look through the scriptures that lined up in the way of that deliverance. But that deliverance had already been spoken. And so it didn't matter that things came and lined up in the way. Things came and lined up in the way of their journey to the promised land. It came and lined up in the way of them actually possessing the promised land when they got there. But listen, to put it in, in these terms, our God doesn't play games. Okay, when he puts something in motion, when he starts a war, he don't play war. He's going to war to win. Once he has spoken, there's nothing off limits as to what he will do. Listen, Pharaoh thought that he could stop them from leaving, but it had already been spoken they would be delivered. So Pharaoh comes and lines up himself against Almighty God, and his kingdom is totally destroyed. The Red Sea got in the way and thought it could do something, but God looked at the Red Sea through angry eyes, and the Red Sea had to roll back. They needed water on the journey, so water flowed from a rock. They needed food on the journey, so food rained down out of heaven. It didn't matter what stood in their way. God had already spoke it, so he would do whatever it took to bring it to pass. They reached the Jordan, and the Jordan was in flood stage. But guess what? It rolled back, and they strolled across it on dry ground. Jericho stood in their way, but Jericho's walls had to fall. What am I telling you tonight? I don't know what you're facing, but it's going to move. I don't know what's standing in your way, but it's got to go because there's already been a word spoken over you there's already been a word spoken over this bride there will be a rapture there will be victory and God's gonna do whatever he has to do to bring it to pass you say but but my, you don't understand my problems they're, they're really stacking up and the odds don't look so good hey I can relate but let's go back to the scripture here because God tells them there are seven different nations there 
and all seven of them are greater than you. In other words, he says, not only are there seven of them, but even if there was only one, that one would whoop you. But there's seven of them that could whoop you, and they're all waiting on you. These seven nations are greater and mightier than thou. Now, listen, here's one thing I love. The strength of your enemies only magnifies the strength of our God. It only serves to show how strong our God is. The battle you're in is only going to bring glory to God. It's only going to magnify how strong he is because he is going to bring you through that. And as soon as he lets them know, we touched on this last time, as soon as he lets them know that they can't defeat them, that they're too strong, that there's seven of them, and that this is impossible, he follows that up by going, but when I deliver them unto you, but when you are victorious, when I come and fight the battle, when I do these things, church, it's not if, but it is when our promises are going to be fulfilled. And I say tonight that he will withhold no resource. He will leave no stone unturned, and he will employ whatever force is necessary to ensure that everything that he has said about you and everything that he said about this bride will come to pass. Well, Brother Aaron, is it going to be easy? Not a chance. Not a chance that it's going to be easy because we are in a battle. We are in a constant war, but the Lord said, I'm going to deliver the enemy into your hands. So it's not going to be easy, but just don't be found running away. Don't be found laying your weapon down. Just be found fighting tonight. And he says he will deliver the enemy into your hands. And then it says you got a job to do. Thou shalt smite them. He's going to deliver them, but thou shalt smite them. Brother Brown says, remember, we are not on a picnic, but we're in a battlefield. Many people think that when they become a Christian, that that's all they need to do. That, that settles it forever. As they are a Christian and everything's going to come easy. Don't ever get that in your head, he says. For I become a Christian to fight the good fight of faith. I become a Christian to get in the battle lines. He says, now Satan will constantly punch at you. Now listen to this for those of us who get the wowsy, wowsy woos and think I'm the only one going through this and I'm the only one and I'm the only one. Here's the prophet of God saying Satan will constantly punch at you until you're finished here on the earth. Wow, where's the good news? Constantly punch at you. He says just remember that. You'll never, I know this is almost depressing, You'll never have a time, but when there's a punching going on all the time, because you're in a battle. Did you ask to come to Christ to go on a picnic? Well, you're sure going to be surprised because it's a constant battle. I've been on the field for 31 years and I fought every inch of the way. That's right. Israel had to fight every inch of the way. Palestine was given to them, but they had to fight every inch of the way to get it so listen i hate to be a downer tonight but things ain't fixing to get better things ain't fixing to get easier but the same god that said i'm going to deliver it into their hands the enemy is the same god tonight he's the same yesterday today and forever he hasn't left us fighting alone it may not get easy but you're gonna win you're gonna be victorious you are going to overcome 
Things aren't getting easier, but that's okay because he's pouring out exactly what we have need of. He's given us the strength to take another step. He's given us the strength to overcome. He's given us the strength to keep on fighting. I'm thankful tonight that we serve a God of total war. And that's what I'm going to speak to you on tonight for a little bit is total war. Total war. It is his attitude towards battle. It is his attitude towards attaining victory. And he wants it to be your attitude as well. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Listen, he didn't stop short and send somebody else to do his bidding. He said, it's going to take my life, then I'll give my life. He says, their healing's going to take stripes, then I'll take the stripes. He was willing to do whatever it took to bring victory. And he wants a people who are willing to do whatever it takes to attain that victory. A people that won't back up. A people that won't give in. A people that in the most dark and evil age, when people are ridiculing, people are making fun of, even people in your own ranks are calling you fanatic. You say, that's okay. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get to the other side. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get there. I'm totally sold out. Out. I'm totally invested because I want a total victory and I'm telling you you are in a war and if you want to win it it must be total war he wants a people totally committed totally surrendered willing to do whatever it takes willing to do whatever he commands even when we do not understand even when what he commands cuts us in the process Whatever it takes. Tonight, you can't allow anything to get in the way of you and total and complete victory. What did he say there at the end of the opening verse? He said, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. Listen, you read this, and I tell you, it's time tonight to recognize that we're not playing games, that we're not playing church. This devil that we're fighting isn't taking it easy on you. He isn't taking it easy on your family. He isn't taking it easy on this church. I think it's time that we sit, that, that, that we quit sitting back and, and, and trying to out-strategize the devil. I say it's time that we quit sitting back and trying to outthink him and outdebate him. I say it's time that we get ourselves ready for battle, that we go on the offensive, that we smite him, that we destroy him, that we make no peace with him, and we show him no mercy. Because tonight this is total war is what we're dealing with here. It's time we quit trying to, to, to learn how to live with devils and start destroying devils. It's time that we quit making treaties with the enemy. Quit letting down the bars to make sure you know that some people aren't uncomfortable in the church. Time we keep the standards where they've always been. Quit trying to teach people how to overcome and get them to the baptism of the Holy Ghost. This is total war. Quit trying to make peace through coping and cut his head off. I don't need to cope with my depression. I don't need to cope with the enemy. I don't need to cope with anxiety. What I need to do is say, this is war. There will be no peace. There will be no treaty. And take his head off tonight. It's time to take the gloves off and go on the attack. Give him no peace. Give the enemy no peace. Give him no resting place. Give him no foothold. And destroy the works of the devil. 
Brother Branham would say here, what we need is old-fashioned, God-sent, heaven-born preachers who will tell the truth regardless who it hurts. Like John who said, the axe is laid to the root of the tree, and every tree that not bringeth forth good fruits is hewn down and cast into the fire. We need preachers, prophets like that, who will bombard and use the judgments of God for ammunition to tear up this wicked condition that we're living in. You can never rid sin by patting it on the back. You can never rid sin by educating people. Our programs have become demolished and have failed. There's only one remedy for sin, and it's Christ is that remedy. And not Christ through intellectual confession, but through the baptism of the Holy Ghost to a new life and a regeneration. That's the only remedy for sin, only remedy for our nation. It's the only remedy for our church. It's the only remedy for the people. Total war. He said there in verse 2, to utterly destroy. And we see that word a lot as we actually read about the conquest of the promised land. Destroy. Destroy means to put an end to the existence of. That don't sound like patenting. That don't sound like you need to, to, to deal with this and cope with this. To put an end to the existence of. By damaging or attacking. Now I want you to think about the thing that's been hindering you and holding you and attacking your family. Maybe generation after generation. And think about that as we look through these synonyms. It says to consume it, to crush it, to dismantle it, to end it, to eradicate it, to gut it, to kill it, to shatter it, to smash it, to wipe it out. That sounds like something I'd like to do to the things that have come against me. I don't want to keep dealing with it. I don't want to face it day after day. I want to eradicate it. I want to wipe it out. I want to give no quarter to the enemy. But tonight, I want to destroy him completely. Brother Bam says, but when he come and fought against them and taken from the people, then God told him, Israel vowed to God, if he would deliver the king into his hands, that he'd utterly destroy the land. And that's a type today. If God will give you the spirit, the Holy Spirit, utterly destroy sin out of your life. Move on. Nothing can stop the church. They may call you fanatic. They may call you simply pack a Bible. They may say that you're a holy roller or whatever they do. Nothing's going to stand in God's church's way. She's moving towards Canaan. If you don't go, God's going to take them that will go. That's right. That church, there's nothing. It's an irresistible force. That's right. And God will move everything. He said he will move everything. So tonight, nothing is too big that's hindering you. Nothing is too big that's hindering you. No cancer, no devil, no family trouble. There is nothing in between you and the rapture that God will not move out of the way if you're willing to stand and declare war on it, stand on your faith and not back up. He will move it. He said nothing's too big. I say we ought to get ready for things to move. Not if. When. Things are going to move. Now I understand that sometimes we get blindsided by things. I understand that sometimes we don't see things coming. So there's not necessarily a way that we can go attack that thing. When we don't even know it's in existence yet. I get that. 
But for far too long, I believe that we have fought a defensive war. And we tried to counterattack the devil or defend against his attacks. And true, we must. I know the Bible says that we have to withstand the wiles of the enemy, his attacks. Sure, that, that's something that we must do. I get that. But Joshua wasn't sitting over there in his camp, defending his camp, making sure it was guarded good, going, have we taken the promised land yet? Is it ours yet? Make sure you defend the camp real good so they don't get in. Tomorrow, is it, do we got it yet? Well, no, you hadn't got it because you hadn't went and took it yet. No, you hadn't got your joy back because you hadn't went and took it yet. You hadn't got your peace back because you hadn't went and took it yet. You hadn't received the Holy Ghost yet because you're sitting around in a defensive position. Get up, take the promise of the, of the word and go get your promise and go possess your promise and go get what it is you have need of. It's time to go on the offensive and quit sitting back and letting the devil attack and attack and attack and attack. It's time we start lobbing some of those rockets right back at him. It's time to load up your weapon. It's time to pick up your sword and it's time to go get him, boy. It's time to get after him tonight and quit fighting a defensive war. Joshua was on the attack. I believe we should be on the attack tonight. I believe we should be tearing stuff up. Tearing stuff down. Oh, that's his stronghold. Tear it down. That's in my way. Tear it down. I'm going to let nothing stand between me and my complete victory. When's the last time the devil said about you, he don't give me no rest? When's the last time that was the devil's testimony about you? When's the last time he said, I don't know what to do with that guy? I don't know what to do with that woman. That's what I like about offensive services. Not because you get offended. I mean offensive in the way that you were on the attack. I love offensive services. I love services that put us on the tack. See, defensive services teach you how to cope with things. Defensive services teach you how to live with it. You know, how to maybe not give up and hang in there for a little while. Hey, and that's noble to be sure. That's fine if that's what you want to do. But I like to go on the offense and say today, on this day, I'm going to take your head off. On this day, you'll know there's a God in Israel. On this day, I will have my deliverance. On this day, you will die. Listen, Saul was a son of Kish and he fought a defensive battle. And he said, you know what? David, those days are over. We just got to be defensive. You know what? We, we can't do that anymore. As we mature, Goliath will leave the valley. No, he won't. Well, as we mature, we'll grow out of this. You, you don't have to deal with him today. Listen, don't feed me that defense wins championships garbage. If you want to win, you got to score more points than the other team. It's time to go on the offensive and say, by his stripes, we are healed. Come up here if you got a devil. We'll lay hands on you. We'll cast him out. Come to the altar and get filled with the Holy Ghost. It's time to go on the attack, to go on the offensive. Say, we can have it. It's ours. I'm going to get it tonight. I believe in being offensive. It's time to take back what is yours. It's not going to change with you just digging in and sitting in your tent. you got to be willing to go take it. It's time for total war. Deuteronomy 12.1 These are the statutes and judgments which you shall observe to do in the land. 
which the Lord God of thy fathers giveth thee to possess it all the days that you live upon the earth. Ye shall utterly destroy all the places wherein the nations which you shall possess served their gods. Sounds like we shouldn't be going to places where they serve their gods. Upon the high mountains and upon the hills and under every green tree. You shall overthrow their altars and break their pillars and burn their groves with fire. And you shall hew down the graven images of their gods and destroy the names of them out of that place. This doesn't sound very friendly. Nor does it sound very defensive. But he's telling you, you go do this. And this is total war. And you destroy it all. You wipe out their names. You wipe out their altars. You completely destroy it. Because if you don't, it will be a thorn in your side. Total war. We're going to delve into a little bit of history right here. I hate to shock you like that. You know, the American Civil War is such a, a fascinating study that goes much deeper than, than the surface level that is taught in schools and textbooks. There were wonderful and godly men on both sides, and there were horrible, dreadful men on both sides. But two central characters today, just to compare and to contrast for a moment. General Robert E. Lee and General William Tecumseh Sherman. General Lee was considered the greatest and boldest strategist in the war. Many of his battle plans are still studied today in places like West Point. He was bold, he was swift, and he was daring. And yet he was a gentleman even to his enemies. Now on the everyday basis, that's a good thing. You know, they would say about Brother Branham that you couldn't tell his enemies from his friends. But this ain't everyday life we were talking about. This was war. When they invaded the north up into Pennsylvania, the army had strict instructions from Robert E. Lee. Do not interfere with the lives of civilians. Do not damage the property of civilians. These people are not our enemies. We are not at war with these people. We want them to see that we mean them no harm. As a matter of fact, there were stories that I'm sure like many down through time and down through history get fudged a little bit or, or, or maybe exaggerated, embellished through time. But supposedly there were men that he had court-martialed for tearing wood off of a fence to build themselves a fire to keep from freezing to death. Because he said, you will not touch anything that isn't directly related to the army. And then there was Sherman on the other side of things. Other men had tried to outmaneuver the southern armies. Others had had the gentleman's approach. They had fought a, a pretty war. They had fought a poetic war. A war of pageantry. A war without altar calls. A war without prayer lines. A war without casting out devils. A war where sin isn't called out. Just the pageantry and forms of church services in a battle plan that doesn't offend. That doesn't destroy anybody's ideas because that's that's their ideas Let, let's leave that alone let's not bother that we don't want to offend or make enemies they fought a war that wouldn't get messy that wouldn't step on people's toes and officially in the united states government it was called the policy of conciliation in other words it was a limited war it says this policy 
meant where you are to respect the private property even of those actively working against you. It's the idea that most of those people on the enemy side really aren't our enemies. Or let me bring it down to where we can understand what we're talking about tonight. That's really not something we should worry about. That's just a family trait. That's really not something we should worry about. That's just my ideas. I'm allowed to have my own personal opinions. So let's leave that alone because it really doesn't have anything to do with the war. I'm just turned a little bit towards the negative. I'll eventually grow out of this. And Sherman realized that in all of this, the war wasn't getting won. Because it didn't matter how much they out-strategized and planned, Robert E. Lee would whoop them every single time. And he recognized this war is going to go on and on and on and on. So in 1863, he began to apply what he called the hard hand of war in central Mississippi in the Meridian Campaign. And for the first time, Sherman would order his troops to wage a war of destruction. He believed that by doing so would remove all hope from the enemy. I like that. I think it's time that we remove all hope from the enemy. To where they realize it don't matter what you throw at me. It don't matter how you attack me. It don't matter what you bring at my family. You are not going to win. You might as well give up all hope because I won't quit. I won't back down. I'm not going away. I'm not retreating. I'm not surrendering. I'm going to win this war. So no matter what you do, you might as well give up any hope of winning. Because at the back of the book, no matter how you come at me, I go up and you go down. At the back of the book, I'm in eternity and you are in heaven. You can't win this war and tonight we are going to declare total war and we are going to remove all hope you ever had of taking me. But in order to do that, you're going to have to be willing to die to self, die to your own thinking and tear up whatever you've got to tear up and let him know I'll fight you wherever. I'll fight you however, but you have no hope. Sherman's goal was to make Georgia howl. I instantly thought of the Brother Branham saying, why is the devil howling? Because we got the answer to his question. He said he wanted to make Georgia howl. He says, now listen to this. We are not only fighting hostile armies, but a hostile people. We must make old and young, rich and poor, feel the hard hand of war. We cannot change the hearts and minds of those people, but we can make war so terrible and make them so sick of war that generations would pass away before they would ever again appeal to it. Sherman contended that the United States and its representatives had the right to remove and destroy every obstacle. Come on now. Every obstacle if need be. Take every life. Every acre of land, every particle of property, everything that to us seems proper, that all who do not aid are enemies, and we will not account to them for our acts. I say it doesn't matter tonight what other people think about our war. 
It doesn't matter tonight how you think we ought to conduct our war. I'm saying I will tear down whatever I have to tear down. I will preach what we have to preach. We will say the Holy Ghost can have liberty here. We will preach healing. We will preach being filled with the Holy Ghost. We will preach the gifts. We will preach whatever. And we will not give account to you for how we conduct our war. But we will be victorious. We will overcome because we're willing to do whatever it takes. You can perpetuate war. Perpetuate war perpetuate war but I am in it to win it tonight I'm in it to do whatever we have to do I say tear it up if it's in your way tear it up if you need to burn it burn it down tonight light it a fire light your soul on fire get your house on fire do what you gotta do but win this is war and it must be total war What all should we burn down? Anything that hinders. Any idea. Any ism. Any doctrine. Any division. That would stand between me and my full inheritance. I'm going to destroy it. Deuteronomy 20, 16. They just laid out how they are to treat all the people. And all the cities. On the way to the promised land. Now it gets to the cities that are in the promised land. In other words, cities built on top of your inheritance. What are you supposed to do to the things that are on your inheritance? But of the cities of these people. Which the Lord thy God doth give thee for an inheritance. Thou shalt save alive nothing that breatheth. Anything that has stood in your inheritance, anything that has tried to stop you, anything that has tried to hinder you or made you think you couldn't make it, cast it down and destroy it tonight. Verse 17, but thou shalt utterly destroy them, namely the Hittites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee. Pardon me. Brother Brandon would say, listen. And we're going to get into some things here. He says, listen, destroy your enemy before your enemy destroys you. He says, he'll do it. He says, bring back the old-fashioned meetings. And oh, leave Delilah alone. Leave the world alone. That thing that woos you off into little things that you shouldn't. And little things, troubles come up in the church and you won't stand correction because you don't have to. You can drop off to another church and things like that. In the early days when a man didn't cope up with the word of God, they packed him out dead. It says, bring us back to Pentecost. Not Hollywood showmanship, but a wholehearted turn to God is what we need. Once more, oh Lord, once more. He says again, let me say this, my friend. You better destroy your enemy before your enemy destroys you. You know, people don't have a problem with this statement. As a matter of fact, everybody in here is like, man, yeah, that's exactly right. Destroy that devil. Destroy that enemy before he destroys me. But see, what they have a problem with is recognizing what the enemy is. That's where the problem comes. 
They toy with things. They toy with unbelief. They toy with complexes. They toy with self-righteousness. They toy with their ideas of how things should be. Not recognizing that those things that you're toying with want to destroy you. See, that's the thing about total war. And that's what Sherman was willing to do that none others were willing to. Is he was willing to look at things that look so simple and so insignificant and say, burn that barn down. Well, why? It's just a barn. It belongs to... Yeah, yeah, it belongs to Bob over here. But what Bob's doing is he's raising cattle and housing them in that barn. And those cattle are feeding the army. So to you, it looks like a barn. But what it is, is it's something the enemy is using against us to defeat us, burn it down. And he was willing to make, to, to call out what we would call the uncomfortable enemies. We can all say the devil's in. That's not uncomfortable. But total war recognizes the uncomfortable enemies. It recognizes that things we had let lay around are benefiting the enemy. And it says it's time to burn it all. Brother Branham says, after a while when Joshua took the land, God told him, utterly destroy everything there is. Don't leave nothing. Now you talk about uncomfortable. Why? Could you imagine some of them Israelite women picking up a little baby? Oh, isn't it cute? Look at it. It ain't even got teeth yet. Joshua said, kill it. The mother said, oh, I'm a mother. I can't kill that baby. And he said, hand it here. Talk about uncomfortable. But this is total war. He says, why, it might look cute now, but it'll grow up and be just like its daddy. You can't baby sin. It's got to be handled, not with gloves on, but barehanded. Oh, it can't be that bad. Brother Aaron, why, why can't I have just my opinions about these things? Why, why can't this? Well, how come that's considered so bad? Why can't we do these things? Oh, yeah, now we're getting to the uncomfortable, that total war will call out. See, everybody wants to kill the devil, the obvious enemy. But people don't like total war because total war makes you deal with self. Now, this isn't the way I wanted it to go tonight, but the more I studied... It just wouldn't come out of this channel, so we're going to be here for a minute. It makes you deal with self. Listen, you have two great enemies, the devil and yourself. And if you put anybody else on that list, I'm going to be the first to tell you, you've got real problems. But it's the devil and yourself, and it's a pretty tough battle for which one of those is number one. Those are the enemies that fight against you. You know, everybody believes the quote, destroy your enemy before it destroys you. But then they don't want to identify where the main enemy lies. And when you can't identify it as the enemy, then you baby it. We baby the flesh. We want to be comfortable. I started to say something about eating a lot and I just, ah, we want to eat foods that we like. We want to do what we want to do. We don't want to be told what to do. Some of us have real problems with authority. We just do. And we baby it. And we make excuses for why we can't do things. And excuses for why we can't overcome. Excuses for why we can't be in church. Excuses for why our family can't be lined up and living a Christian life. Excuse after excuse. And then we don't want to take accountability and recognize what the enemy is. 
You won't identify it. And so you let it live. You don't destroy your own ideas. And you let it live and you feed it. And since it can't be you, then others become the problem. Because it can't be you. So then you have a list that's the devil and other people. And somehow you leave yourself off that list. This is total war now. So others become the problem. And you take aim at others instead of the two enemies that you should be fighting against. So the devil gets a break because you're so busy <laughs> at this one. And hand grenades over there. And the devil's sitting there going, get him, boy. Get him. And he's encouraging you and he's whispering in your ear. Yeah, he said that about you. I know how he thinks about you. And he told so, and he's feeding it. Why? Because all the ammunition's going in the wrong place and he's loving it. He ain't taking a single shot. He's got you fighting your brother. Because you can't identify for a minute, I need to die. I need to die to self. See, we have to apply total war to us. Brother Brown says, God said, utterly destroy the thing. Amen. Hallelujah. What we need today, and he stops and he says, you're a baby and sissy around with a whole lot of things you ought to be destroying. I'm going to read that again because I can't say that to you, but he can. (laughs) You're a baby and sissy around with a whole lot of things you ought to be destroying. See, there's a reason God demands that you kill these things. Not that he wants to hurt you. It's because he wants to save you. He don't want these things to rise up and overtake you down the road. He's telling you, kill it all. Lay down your thinking. Lay down your ideas. Lay down yourself. Lay down your human nature so that you can have more of him, more of eternal life, more of that glorious presence. But as long as you're holding on to this, it's going to rise up and it's going to kill you. Anything not dealt with now will rise up later and try to destroy you. Anything in your life that isn't totally killed off and totally surrendered will rise up again. You will see it again. It always comes back. I want to look at it for a minute here in Samuel. 1 Samuel 15.1. We're going to try to get through the rough stuff as fast as we can. But just bear with me because this, is, this was heavy on me. It says, Samuel also said unto Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people. It's a man with a powerful position over Israel. Now, therefore, hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts. I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek. And utterly destroy all that they have. I want you to pay close attention to how God gives him very clear instructions. There was no room for I think so's and I felt like. And maybe we should have handled it this way this time, Lord. Utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not. But slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. This... Is total war. This is destruction. But this is what will bring total victory. You can't have total victory without total war. Because a limited war never will wipe out everything. 
but a total war will. And Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and laid wait in the valley. Skipping down to verse 7. And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until, the comest, until they comest to Shur, that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, a lot. Uh-oh. There's trouble brewing. And utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. Look at this. It's almost, in a roundabout way, it's almost an, an Eden-like situation. He just disobeyed a little bit. I mean, he went to battle because God told him to. He slew Amalekites. He risked his life because God told him to. I've been serving the Lord 30 years. God don't care if you ain't doing what he asked you to do. You might have been doing it wrong for 30 years. He went to battle. Next verse. Go back. I don't know. This just hits me. In the midst of absolute victory. In the midst of freedom. In the midst of the spirit being poured out in a church service. In the midst right there when you could have complete victory. We let the enemy live. This one's having victory. This one's having victory. This one's having victory. This one's running and shouting. And you leave. And you take Agag with you. And you say that was powerful. That was a service. There was a, there was a Malachite slain. There was victory in the house of God. As you walk out with Agag. Come on now. This is the opportunity to end it all. This is the opportunity for total victory. And we're going to see here in a minute, if we have time, Lord willing, how this decision would hinder Israel for years and years and generation after generation. In the midst of deliverance, we spare the enemy. Why do we do that? Because we think what we're holding on to has some kind of value. We think our opinion matters. Brother Aaron, are you saying that towards the late? No, I'm saying that towards me, Brother Joe, Brother Tim. We can't do nothing until we lay our opinions down. God can't speak to us as long as we're looking at going, well, I think this and I think that. and I th That's all of us. Our opinions, when it comes to the word of God. Look, I understand. You're saying we're not allowed. I'm talking about when it comes to the word of God. Our opinions don't matter. We have no thought coming. That's exactly right. And let me drive that point home. We're, we're, we're dealing with this. We feel like that something we could keep has value. And it says, but Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not Utterly destroy them. Direct disobeying a word from the Lord. But everything that was vile and refuse 
That they destroyed utterly. Now, see, once again, it's easy for all of us to see the devil and go, we need to destroy that. We need to destroy that. That's vile. That's vile. That's vile. We need to destroy that. I see where that's wrong, so that needs to be destroyed. But I don't really know about these sheep. What's wrong with these sheep? What's wrong with this? What's wrong with the music I listen to when my mom and daddy ain't around? What's wrong with this? What's wrong with these things? We destroyed all the evil stuff, but we're just holding on to some of this. Little, the problem is those things they saved alive were a link back to the vile and the refuse. That song is a link back to. That movie is a link back to. That conversation you shouldn't be having is a link back to where you were supposed to be victorious. We're supposed to cut down all those links. We are supposed to separate those things. We are not to lay our head in the lap of Delilah. Those things are a link. They may not be vile and refused, but they are a link too. That attitude is a link too. That ism is a link too. That idea is a link too. Destroy it. But see... By destroying the obvious, what they did is they satisfy their religious conscience. But you don't satisfy what God has asked you to do. You've only satisfied your conscience in the matter. Verse 10, then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king. For he has turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel and he cried unto the Lord all night. Now notice right here just quick as I moved on. Before I move on, to fail to do any of it is to fail in all. He says he failed to do it. He did not perform my commandments. Verse 12. And when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set him up a place and has gone about and passed on and gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Now watch the attitude of a person in this place. I'll just go ahead and say it. What's the attitude of a person with a self-righteous religious spirit? What's his attitude? We've already been told by the word of God that he did not do what he was supposed to do. Saul said unto him, blessed be thou, O Lord. Glory and church service. Hallelujah. Blessed be the Lord. Ooh, he's religious. He is glad to be here or glad to be streaming or glad to be doing whatever he's doing other than doing what the Lord told him to do. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Really, because that's not what the Bible said. Notice his self-righteousness. Look what I've done for God. Look at how it prospers. Look at me. I. I mean, he didn't even mention the armies. He didn't mention none of that. Look what I have done. I did this, and God used me, and God worked through me, 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 me. And Samuel said, what meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in my ears, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, they have brought them. Wait a minute, where did this they come from? Wait a minute, it was all about me. 
but now it's they. They have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed, just like God told us to. I'm still holding on to this. I'm still holding on to that. I'm still holding on to this. This grudge, this bitterness, this unforgiveness. But I have the Holy Ghost. No. No. You're saying I can't ever have a grudge? I'm not saying that. I'm saying the Lord will deliver you of it. You won't hold it and it won't hinder you and it won't destroy your family and destroy this one and destroy that one. You all the while going along going, look what I've done. Listen, sometimes things, I don't know, I just feel to do this. This is going to take up some time. But sometimes things come into our life and we can't help it. Brother Tim, this cup, this bottle of water is not very heavy. But if I hold it for an hour, it's going to get heavier. If I hold it all day, this arm's going to begin to hurt. And if I hold it long enough without setting it down, it's going to paralyze my arm to where I can't move it because it's been stuck. You ever slept in one position all night and woke up and you can't hardly move it? It don't matter how heavy it is. You need to set it down and give it to God before it paralyzes your faith, before it paralyzes your walk, before the next thing you know, you're so paralyzed that all you can do is look at the faults of everybody else. You can't even turn and look back at Jesus. You can't even go back to the cross where mercy and grace and forgiveness is because you've held something so long because you wouldn't identify the enemy that now you are paralyzed. They have brought them from the Amalekites. Still trying to defend his actions. Still trying to deflect blame. Then Samuel said unto Saul, stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. And he said unto him, say on. And Samuel said, when thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribe of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites. And fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then did thou not obey the voice of the Lord. But didst fly upon the spool and did evil in the sight of the Lord. Notice how God interprets what has happened. And how his interpretation is so much different than how Saul interpreted it. Now look at Saul. When we, and it's a very dangerous thing. And I don't throw this around loosely. But when you get a self-righteous or a religious spirit on you. You will even stand in the face of the man of God and argue with him. He says, and Saul said unto Samuel, yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. Wow. I have gone the way which the Lord sent me and have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. He got so lifted up and so consumed with this religious spirit that even when he was pointed back to the word, he would argue with it. And he's in a very dangerous place here when he gets to where he values his own opinion over what the prophet says. You're in a dangerous place. You did not do as God said. Well, that's your opinion. That's just your opinion on it. I don't like it. I have obeyed the Lord. Verse 21. 
But the people took the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. One thing I want you to notice is that Saul's will always mask their failure behind worthy causes and worthy arguments. They're good sheep and it's for the church service. It's for sacrificing. I did this so we could have better services. It's not what God asked you to do. As a matter of fact, it's not what God told you to do. But he'll take and mask it behind this worthy argument. Oh, and all the while, everybody else is to blame. Listen, when you get to the place, when you get to the place that all you are focused on is others and what they are doing wrong, instead of taking that energy and directing it into how you can grow, and where you need to repent, you can always trace that back to a religious spirit. It just is what it is. And the thing is, it, it doesn't do, it, it will do no good for me to recognize it. It will do no good for Brother Joe to recognize it. It will do no good for Brother Tim to recognize it. Until you're willing to declare total war on that spirit, it will consume you. You have to be willing to go, I recognize the enemy. I recognize it. It is upon me. And I have to do what I have to do. Listen, I had to kill the old man I was. This ain't for everybody else. We've all had to do it. I, that man had to die. My ideas had to die. How my family thought had to die. Or I could never grow in the Lord. I could never become filled with the Holy Ghost. I had to lay those things down and say, Lord, I surrender all. I leave it here. I lay it here. And I want what you want. You say, oh, this, you're, you're attacking me. No, I'm telling you what every Christian that has ever come to Christ has had to do. Every single one had to lay self down, recognize myself is not worth anything. There's nothing worth sparing. There's nothing worth saving. My ideas are trash. Everything the way I used to think is trash. And all I want, Lord, is you. All I want is more of you to fill me. Lord, I want you to use me. And I want more of you, but I've got to lay all of me down. That's a everybody sermon is what that is. I couldn't come and say, well, this is just how I am. This is how my family is. That all had to die. Then I could be free. Then I could be filled. Then I could have total victory in my life. And Samuel said, hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Skip with me down to verse 32, so I'm going to try to hurry. Then said Samuel, bring ye hither to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came unto him delicately. And Agag said, surely the bitterness of death is past. Now, what it means here when it says delicately is it actually means he came stately, carrying himself as a king who should be respected. He comes walking in as a king who should be respected and says, surely the bitterness of death is over. Surely, you know, yes, we fought. Yes, I brought depression upon your family. Yes, I tried to take your life. Yes, I've tried to kill you and destroy you and bring anxiety and tear the church apart. I know I've done all those things. But surely now that those things are in the past, 
you're going to let me live another day. Next verse. Total war. And Samuel said, as thy sword hath made women childless, so shall thy mother be childless among women. And Samuel hewed Agag into pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. What should I do with this depression, Brother Aaron? Hew it into pieces. What should I do with this attitude? Hew it into pieces. What about this rebellion? Hew it into pieces. Don't tolerate it. Don't tolerate it anymore. It wants to destroy you. You got to say, I recognize what this is. I will not be talked into letting it live with me another day. But tonight, I will deal with the thing. I will hew it into pieces. Don't let it live another day. Strife and grudges and complexes and unbelief and secret sins. Hew it into pieces. God will provide total victory, but you have to carry it all the way out. You can't stop short. Because wherever and whatever you stop short on will return. We're going to go into that for just a minute as we begin to bring this to a close. Procrastination with the devil won't work. You can't hesitate to do all that the word has told you to do. You can't have mercy on the devil for even a moment. If you know you need to deal with it, deal with it tonight because every day you leave it, it grows stronger. Every day you hold it, it holds you tighter. It's paralyzing you, not vice versa. If temper is hindered, you deal with it. If lust is hindered, you deal with it. Bitterness is hindered, you deal with it. Unforgiveness has hindered, you deal with it. Quit letting it lay there. Because if we'll fast forward into the book of Esther, we'll find that Haman is a direct descendant of the Amalekites. That's the Amalekites that Saul was supposed to destroy. And he even carries the name of their king, Agag. Look in Esther 3 and 1. After these things did King Ahasuerus promote Haman, the son of Hamaditha, the Agagite. He even carries the name of their king. He is a direct descendant. You say, they slaughtered them all. They killed every one of them. But Jewish writings say that the leniency showed by Saul to King Agag actually made it possible for Haman to appear because had he been killed one day sooner or the day that he was supposed to die, then the great peril which the Jews had to undergo at the hands of Haman would have been averted because it was in that one day that Agag's lineage was able to continue. Leniency for a day and it was passed on. To the next generation. For the next generation to fight. You know, sometimes I think it's pretty selfish we won't deal with things because you're intentionally passing that thing. And, well, I don't want my kids to deal with it. Then deal with it. I don't want it to hinder my grandkids. Then deal with it. Take care of the thing and quit showing it leniency before it gets passed on. But I'm telling you tonight, you don't have to be a Saul. None of this was to say you have to be a Saul because if you stay there right in the book of Esther, what you're going to find is that there's a Mordecai. You can find a Mordecai there who the Bible tells us in Esther 2.5 was a descendant of Kish. He's a descendant of Kish. And so what God is doing here is he's allowing an opportunity for someone to be a cycle breaker. 
What he's saying is your granddaddy was supposed to do it and he couldn't do it and he failed. And your daddy was supposed to do it and he couldn't do it and failed. But I ain't giving up on you. I'm going to give you your chance. It's your time to deal with it. It's your time to declare war. Maybe daddy couldn't. Maybe mama couldn't. But now it's your turn to go to battle. It's your turn to say this will hinder my family no more. This will bring us down no more. It's your turn. It's your opportunity. God hasn't given up on you. It's your opportunity. It's your turn to deal with the situation. To say, I'm not just going to fight the comfortable enemies. But I'm declaring total war on anything that stands between me and my inheritance. It dies here. Brother Brown says, oh, destroy that thing. Pick up that little old Jebusite baby. Say, he's so cute. He grins so little, so sweet. He's a little Hivite baby. I'll just tell you, the Bible says destroy that fellow, not pet him and baby him. He will raise up and be just like daddy. And the first thing you know, you go to petting your sickness around and petting your little petties around and things like that because your neighbor don't believe in healing and your neighbor don't believe in the Holy Ghost. Destroy that thing. Let's go over and take the land. Hallelujah. He says, there's the promised land. She's flowing with milk and honey. But before you get there, you're going to go through all these Hivites and Canaanites and everything. But don't you bow down to one of them. You destroy the things as you come to them. Stop building fire on the enemy's altar. Wished I was twice my size right now. Maybe I'd feel twice as good. Ooh, I like that. Maybe I don't want to be twice my size, but I can handle feeling twice as good. He says, I wish I was twice my size. I'd feel twice as good. Church, as we bring this to a close, what is total war for? Total war is for total victory. And it's right there before us. We're standing right there at the final push, the final battles. And we're not going to get there by petting devils. We're not going to get there by letting things live. This is at the culmination of it all. And he fought a total war so that you could be totally redeemed. He fought a total war so you could be totally healed, so you could be totally filled, that you could be totally delivered. He fought a total war so that you could have total freedom. And he's looking for a people that's willing to be totally committed, all in, that's willing to fight a total war. Like I said, we're not worried about how people think we should fight our war. It's our battle. It's our war to win. If it's in your way tonight, burn it down. If it's hindering you, Burn it down. We're called to destroy the works of the devil. I call this church to go on the offensive. To quit sitting back and taking the punches. To quit sitting back and allowing the devil to come time after time. But to take the word. Take your prayers. Take committal to God. Take the Holy Ghost. Take those weapons that God put in your arsenal. Gear up tonight and head out to battle. Gear up tonight and head out there to destroy anything that would stand in your way. Not sitting back and waiting. You know, the Bible says right there, and we're going to close with this. The Bible tells us that the gates of hell shall not prevail. And many times I understand that we feel like that means as they come against us, they won't prevail. But gates are a defensive position. Gates are in walls. That is a defensive position. 
So what it's saying there is obviously you're supposed to be on the tack because when you come up against the gate of sickness, it will not prevail. When you come up the gate of depression, it will not prevail. When you come and attack a gate of anxiety, it will not prevail. He has no stronghold that can prevail against you if you'll take the sword of the word, if you'll go out in courage and you'll stand there and say, this is total war. I'm fighting anything and everything that stands in my way, in the way of my family, in the way of my joy, in the way of my peace, in the way of total victory what is total victory the body change it's not just a down payment anymore but it's total war for total victory for the rapture listen what does total war do it settles the question oh let me tell you what church on rapture morning there'll be no question who the victor was there'll be no question who won the battle it's rapture day it's victory day it's going home day total war for total victory I say I want total victory tonight. I want total victory tonight. And I will wage total war on my enemies. Hallelujah. If you musicians can come tonight. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But thanks be to God. Which gives us the victory. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Church, he's calling us to go on the offensive. If it's in your way, burn it down. It's time we tear some stuff up. We've been too long worried about, you know, not upsetting this and not doing that. If it's in the way of me and the rapture, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, just being real, I don't care what you think or anybody in this building thinks. I sure don't care what somebody outside this building thinks. I'm going to do whatever I have to do because me and my family are going to be there. Me and my family are going to make it. And I sure ain't going to miss it to spare a few feelings. I just ain't going to do it because I'm going to be there. I'm going to make it. I'm going to overcome. I'm going to take a rapture. I'm going to have a body change. My sons are going to have a rapture. My daughter's going to have a rapture. My wife, my family, we're leaving nothing behind because we're going to be willing to do whatever it takes. Leave nothing in your way. Don't worry about what people think. If you've got to cry out to God, you cry out to God. You do what you got to do, but don't miss it. Don't miss it for nothing. Take the land. Take the land. Take the rapture. Go on the attack tonight. In the name of Jesus, go on the attack tonight.
no other found.
before we're dismissed this evening. Amen. Thank Him for the wonderful word He's given us this evening. Father, we love You so much, Lord. Lord, we thank You that You've given us this opportunity to be here tonight, Lord. We're so many, Lord, that couldn't be here and their heart's desire was to be in this presence that we feel, Lord. But we thank You so much You've provided a way, Lord. Lord, for those that weren't able to make it in person tonight, I pray that they felt your nearness like we have this evening, Lord. Lord, and we thank you for the words you've given, Lord, a word to correct, a word to remind us, Lord, of Lord, the complete and total deliverance that's needed of every Christian, Lord. Lord, I thank you for the words, Lord, that you've provided, and Lord, for the ministry that's here in our midst. Thank you for Brother Aaron, Lord. I pray you'll restore strength to him. Lord, you see Brother Ross there in that situation, Lord. I pray you'll touch him, Lord. Lord, as his desire was to be here tonight, I I pray, Lord, that your sweet, sweet presence will sweep over his room tonight, Lord. Lord, and we have this request that's been turned in for Brother Tony Adams' mother in the ICU in Baton Rouge, Lord. Lord, in this critical situation there, we don't know all the details of it, Father, but Lord, we know that you're with her and you're with Brother Tony, Lord, and the family. And Lord, we ask that that same presence, Father, will just follow them. Lord, that even those in these different facilities will look and walk down the hallway even perhaps and just feel there's a different anointing coming from that room. There's a different atmosphere, Father. Lord, just pour out that supernatural, Lord, atmosphere upon each one of us, Lord, as we go tonight. Lord, I pray that you'll be the center of all that we say and do. Bring us back here safely, Lord, on Sunday. Be with Brother Tim as he prepares to minister. Lord, each one of us, Father, I pray you'll draw us near to you through this week. We love you and we thank you for all your blessings, Father. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go singing that song of the 
and surround us, oh Lord. Don't you just want to be surrounded by him all week, each and every moment of every day? Amen. Let's sing that as we go. Oh, surround.